The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live, youtube.com slash cover three and on Facebook. Thanks to everybody who's joining us live, hanging out. We can see the chat's already popping. Uh, good afternoon to you. Make sure that you smash that like button. It helps us be able to grow the show and let more people know about this awesome stuff that we got going on at the Cover 3 Podcast. Subscribe also on YouTube so that you just get an alert Anytime that we go live, smash that bell for those notifications. Very exciting Monday show for you. Uh, before we get out of here, we're going to be taking a tour around the country, checking out some of the quarterback battles that we're keeping our eyes on here in spring practice. Now, a little bit of transfer portal news, as is this time of year. But we begin with a little bit of breaking news as the five-star quarterback, Nico Iamalieva, has committed to Tennessee. Now... His name has been mentioned and pronounced perhaps poorly by me uh, already on this podcast before as we discussed the idea of the $8 million NIL deal, the laws in the state of California that allow some of this money to even start to uh, be given or provided to uh, the prospect. Checks to be cashed, uh, even while you are still a, a junior in high school. Uh, let's let's go ahead and let's start with the prospect himself because I think that uh, our discussion was really more about you know NIL and what this represented. And I didn't have enough knowledge, and I still don't now. So, but I ask, what is Tennessee getting in Nico Iamalieva? Uh, they are getting a really really talented quarterback, uh, a quarterback prospect who. Even though we have Arch Manning this year, and we also have have Malachi, uh, he could end up number one overall in the wow. country, rankings wise. A really talented uh, men's volleyball player, which you don't see a lot, but those guys, if, if you're a really good volleyball player, you're, you're a very athletic prospect. You probably have really good body control, which he does. You can see that when he throws off platform. Uh, you know, pretty smart kid. I I know one of his coaches and. They love the guy. 
And uh, quite honestly, guys, I mean, uh, I wasn't on the episode when we discussed it, but I think $2 million a year for a five-star quarterback prospect is a freaking steal. Like, that is cheap. Think, think about what 18-year-olds in these other sports get. You know, I, I was playing golf yesterday with, with a buddy of mine, and he's a pretty big Major League Baseball agent. Number one pick in the baseball draft gets nine million yep. bucks. Yeah, nine million. Do we should we like propose a system where your pay is based on where you're rated as a prospect? Because then we could finagle things to where you know maybe maybe twenty four seven takes a little cut. Hey, we'll, well hey, up if a star. Coaches, <laughs> no, no, no. If, if coaches get contract bonuses based on recruiting classes. And, you know, you can then get that, like, work the recruiting service to get higher rated prospects so that your contract bonus is cash. If that's already in the ecosystem, Tom, I don't think it's crazy for us to try to also link this into NIL deals, uh, to which my motivation is, I mean, it's y'all's money. So, like, that's the thing about $2 million a year is whose money is it? You know, who's this being judged against? This is so early that I don't know if that's a steal or if it's not a steal. I can tell you that it sounds like a really big number compared to what zero. Yeah, compared to what other (laughs) NIL numbers we've even heard from this past cycle, you know, like million dollars a year. It's going to be a million dollars a year. Now, all of a sudden, we're up to two. Uh, I think that it is it, it might be a steal. I just don't have enough information to be able to create brackets on this. I also think it's important to note that. If the rumors of this deal are, are true, um, this is the entirety of his NIL rights. Whereas we only heard about Bryce Young's million dollar deal, right? That doesn't mean that Bryce Young isn't getting other NIL deals. So I don't know that it's entirely fair to assume that you know this is double what Bryce is getting, right? My guess here is that there are other stuff uh, in the works there for other quarterbacks. Whereas like this is the entirety of your name, image, and likeness rights being signed away. Uh, so just want to point that out. I I mean, look, think about it. In what other sport, like in the NFL, does any assistant coach make anywhere close to what what the top quarterback draft picks make? No. I'd rather have a five-star quarterback than any coordinator you can name because the replacement level for these coaches is just not that high. The drop-off in terms of talent for the very best players is huge. The players are more valuable to me than the coaches are. Um, <laughs> Jordan's in the chat just – lighting things on fire (laughs) there we go (laughs) producer jordan what's up (laughs) that's outstanding um i'm with you bud i don't like i think aaron Rodgers is underpaid he's just signed for 45 50 million a year like it's the most important position in the game if you get it right i think that's probably the thing that i think people are struggling with is the crapshoot like hey is this going to be the next sure thing or could this be the next is it going to be the next Bryce Young or is it going to be the next DJ Uyunglele like and maybe is that priced in because like hypothetical Mm -hmm. if if you could tell Auburn who we're going to discuss later in the show you can get that one year Cam Newton how much do you think they really would have paid before they said no 20 million right Saban makes what 12 a year if you Mm -hmm. count in the, the, the the house and the life insurance policy and stuff I think Auburn would drop twenty if they could. I mean, if there's if they're that one year, they're I think right. They're paid to get rid of coaches, <laughs> Thank right? You. Exactly. So I th- I think the risk is priced in at two million. Yeah, a year. I think if you gonna- knew that he was going to hit. If there was no doubt that he's going to be an absolute stud for you, he, two million is much cheaper than, than than it should be. And and this is actually, I mean, this is how it's supposed to work, right? In America, where it's the law of supply and demand. And I think it will be interesting because much like if you go into 
you know, if you go at your buddy who's an agent, I guarantee he has every single draft slot. He's got it slotted for how much they're supposed to get for signing. Now, teams have already kind of had, you know, on some really backroom wall, <laughs> they've had a number in mind for a five-star QB, five-star offensive line, five-star defensive line, four-star, three-star, and they've had numbers in mind that are kind of very rough estimates, but it's like, hey, here's what we're willing to go for that. The more we get, the more information we get, and the more we get these deals that are out in the public and they get published, the more that the next five start, like Arch Manning, he'll be like, hey, that guy just got eight. That's my number, bottom line. If you want me to go there, you've got to get it and maybe bump it up some. And like every other sport, it'll probably keep increasing you know, over time because people will, they'll be one of these guys will hit, hit it big. And the reason it's a, it's a bargain is, I mean, go back and look at any of the studies that were done on Johnny Manziel, then the value that he brought to Texas A&M and how they raised, you know, $400 million because of his Heisman season, you know, and, and that was the amount of pledges they got from, you know, the school. And that's only that number. That doesn't include any other number that comes to the program if you're talking about bowl appearances, better bowls, playoff appearances in the national championship run, then you're talking that's absolutely a bargain if you hit on it. My concern, I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you guys are talking about as far as the value and how much he's worth. I mean, we really don't know. It's going to be up to each school depending on how much they feel like spending. That's how much he's worth. My concern, though, and I wonder if you guys have any, is he's stepping into a situation where he's Tennessee's first five-star QB since 2002, I think it was. Uh, yep. So there's already tons of pressure on him to be a savior now because that's how he's going to be looked at. Like, this is the guy. We're going to be back. We're going to compete with Georgia to win the East. We've got the QB. And now you add the $8 million or $2 million a year on top of it. I worry about the kind of pressure he's going to be facing from the fan base if he doesn't perform well right away. And I worry what kind of impact that's going to have on some of these kids. Now, granted, they've had to deal with that already. And now they're going to be getting well compensated for it. So it helps. It's just, it's, I, I just worry about how fans are going to react. Like, you know, well, George, like guys like Jordan Maiton are super excited now, but what's to keep them from burning down Nico's house? Because we know Jordan likes to light things on fire. Well, it, that's a part of becoming, because I think even I've noticed this as an analyst, you know, covering both the NFL and college football. I feel like I'm a little gentler at college football. But it's, mm -hmm. it's only going to be human nature to be like, well, that guy's now making millions, so we can just light into him. And we are, I think we already saw that somewhat with Spencer Rattler when they were chanting um, Caleb Williams' name from the stands. Like, and that's, but again, like that's happened before, you know? So they've already, you know, fan bases can be pretty hostile to their own players as it is. But I think it's only going to increase that likelihood. That and gambling too. I mean, that was always the people that yep. got the maddest at me were the drunk phone calls from some guy who just lost on Florida State. Like that's when I had to realize, all right, I have to lose my number and get a new one and have it unlisted in the you know Tallahassee phone book. You and only won by six points, you <laughs> idiot. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to remember this. When were the first guys? drafted straight out of high school into the NBA and they got those huge deals. Like obviously we remember Kevin Garnett and Kobe yeah. was, was KG the first. I think KG was like, cause it used to happen like in the seventies, but nobody cared then because nobody was making any money. But yeah, I think in the big money era of the NBA, like the post Jordan, when it became a popular league, it was probably KG, I think. But then weren't there, weren't there a couple like notable busts and that was oh, one yeah. of the reason they went right. back to the one and done rule. 
was because there were guys. Because that's going to happen. There are going to be busts in college football as well. It's just inevitable. You can't, there is no perfect way to predict who's going to do what. I mean, we've already seen that. Again, a couple examples earlier on the show. And and the thing that's crazy is in the examples of Spencer Rattler and DJ Uyungle, they had both, Spencer Rattler in particular, had played a full season of really good football and you saw it not work out. And it's the same thing. Like we've seen a lot of pick your NFL guy that's made a, like Matt Flynn, you know, who made, you know, he played in a handful of games, Seattle paid him. And then Russell Wilson beats him out. There's going to be stories like that that happen. But I think that's just part of you know, players getting paid. It's just, it's always been a part of professional sports and that what we're seeing the morph, you know, the morphing into college football into being a professional sport. Last I also thing don't know. Or, sorry, Chip. I was just going to say, so what about the rest of Tennessee's recruiting efforts? Well, are, I, they, are you asking if they're tapped? Well, I mean, if Josh, no, they got that 25 mil. I got that war chest. If, you know? if Josh Eipel is, you know, out on the recruiting trail right now and he's starting to talk to some parents or he's starting to talk to some players or he's start, starting to talk to the other important influencers around a prospect. I mean, this it's like the, that was the old price, right? Like what if, what if we we thought we'd had something agreed upon, and then I see this uh, see this eight million? And it's like, yeah, well, now 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 let's talk more about that war chest that I've been reading about right now. Not that it would signing a five star quarterback should should only be sending the signal that you're going for it and that we are ready to win big. That should be a motivating factor. I imagine it won't be for everyone, but a overall plus value. I mean, is there any negative kickback on the recruiting trail as Hypel tries to spin this thing forward, secure the rest of the class, and the final and hardest step actually convert recruiting wins into SEC wins. So I, I think this helps them uh, quite a bit, obviously, because I really didn't think that staff was a great recruiting staff prior. I was not really impressed with with what the majority of those guys did when they were at UCF. Certainly, Malzahn is recruiting better at UCF than, than you know this uh, group of, of, of coaches did there, and they don't they don't really have, have reputations as great recruiters. Uh, but this will help you quite a bit uh, as far as challenges. Uh, as Chip asked for, one of the challenges is going to be not every state is California. The majority of states, you cannot sign a high school kid to an NIL deal. Now, I think that's going to change pretty quick uh, mm -hmm. across the landscape in some states. But some states will probably drag their feet and say no, which is fine, right? That's state sovereignty. I mean, we, different states have different rules. It's kind of what one of the things that makes our country cool. Uh, but ultimately, that could be a challenge. Hey, like we could do this deal because in California it's legal. Uh, but in your situation, you have to just kind of believe us that the deal is going to be there when you get on campus. Uh, right. So that could be a challenge. Um, but it also, I think the proof of concept uh, and the positive PR they're getting out of this is tremendous for recruiting. Right. Like, hey, this is real. <laughs> we're, we're getting write ups all, all across the country and all the media outlets. So I, I think it'll help them uh, quite a bit. And they seem to be you know, at the forefront of some of this. And so perhaps Florida and Georgia may have a little more company in that division uh, than they would like. I wonder if we're going to see, and we kind of see it already too, like with IMG. But I wonder if as these rules take time to get implemented in certain states and whether or not they are or aren't, if we're going to see like a wave of top recruits transferring high schools. Like, are we going to see somebody transferring to a state in which they can get paid right away so that way they could accept their deal before making their college commitment? Probably. If you're good enough to get a deal, like a, a big-time deal, absolutely, I think you should. 
I mean, if you up. if you magically need to be at close to a regional airport so that John Calipari can get from Lexington to Greensboro instead of Little Washington, North Carolina, then hey, you wait till the high school coach goes on spring break and we get the transfer papers through. <laughs> <laughs> It'll definitely happen. Uh, I think what's interesting too. Do you think? Because I think this is the other side, the boosters and the businesses figuring things out a little bit too, is that this is a multi-year deal. But I'm curious to know what happens if it doesn't work out. Like, do we see potential buyouts, you know, from another school like we do with coaches? Like, let's say, let's say this kid doesn't work out and he's not starting or, he's, you know, he starts six games and it's a disaster. Sorry, Jordan. Um, and, you know, and then something doesn't go well. Is the money guaranteed for the player? Can they can the can the boosters get out of it? And on the flip side, like what if another school, let's say he was on the bench and Hendon Hooker came back and the kid had a desire to get out and he went to Florida or Georgia and said, Hey, I really want to come play for you. Like, I wonder if there's a buyout scenario where Florida or Georgia says, What do you have left? All right, we'll give you that. And then you know, we'll pay Tennessee their, you know, out fee, and then we'll pay you a new deal. Like that's the whole thing about this that just nobody knows, but I think it's the wild, wild west aspect. And it's the term that everyone keeps throwing out there, but it's so appropriate because it truly is. A little bit of transfer portal action from across the country. And right after we spent all this time talking about Ulysses Bentley, Kamar Wheaton, you know, whether you want to get the proven product with the lower ceiling or whether you want to invest in the high ceiling option. And Tom Fernelli says, you know what? We might be seeing that Ulysses, Ulysses Bentley wasn't just, you know, leaving because he was thinking that he's about to get passed over. He might have also had another, you know, SEC team sniffing around. So, Tom, what's Lane Kiffin saying in the text to you as Ulysses Bentley has wound up now committed to Ole Miss? I think an hour uh, after we got done recording, it seems like. <laughs> um, I can't divulge the secrets of my text. No. I, I, Lane Kiffin has never texted me. He can, Lane, if you want. It's fine. Tell me anything you want. But no, it He's was just a DM guy, really. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was that was just mostly an educated guess in that he's a really good player. <laughs> And SMU probably didn't want to lose him. And I didn't think he was leaving SMU because he didn't think he'd be able to, you know, get an opportunity there. I think it was just obviously he helped felt there was a better opportunity somewhere else. And now we know what that better opportunity was. I think it's good for Ole Miss because, you know, they lose Ely. So they've got an opening there. And that's a that's an offense that I think fits a lot of what Ulysses Bentley was doing at SMU and a lot of his talents to begin with. So I think just as a move that makes a ton of sense for both parties. Thoughts Same. on Bentley? Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like, like I didn't think it was a big deal that he was leaving at all. I got a bet. I think, and that's unfortunately, I think that's what we're going to see is that just organically, we're going to see sort of, you know, triple A, double A, single A, like we see in baseball. And the better you play at single A, you get bumped up to double A. And then the better you play at double A, you get bumped up to, you know, triple A. And if triple A, you get bumped up to the big leagues. I think that's what we're going to see. And probably what you're going to see is, I don't know if it's by conference, but, you know, the top 20 spending teams are going to be the big leagues, and that's where you go. And some will be in the SEC, some Big Ten, a handful in the Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC, and the rest fall by the wayside wherever they go. And that's another thing, too. Like, I got into this debate over the weekend plenty of times because of the NCAA tournament going on, which ultimately leads to this is why the football playoff needs to expand because it helps, you know, democratize things. And it's just – it's like – 
No, it's like basketball and football are so different in the way that the teams work, the games work, and everything's constructed, whereas it's there's more opportunity for basketball teams. But in football, like NIL and expanding the playoffs, like I've said before, so we won't go on too long, but it's just going to funnel all the power to the same schools and just separate things even, you know, make the distance even greater. So, I, uh, it also, no, I'm just saying that, that I think like the greatest you know, an analogy here is just it's going to become like double A and triple A just like it is for coaches. Yeah. Right. We'll do who's next on the coaching list. Right. They don't show any loyalty to the schools. And you go to the Big Ten. Correct. Exactly. Nobody expects those coaches to stay in the MAC or or the Sun Belt or whatever. Like, I don't expect the players to either. If we missed on them out of high school, recruiting wise, or maybe we didn't miss, maybe they just grew a ton once they got into college. Move up, man. And just like the minor leagues, the lower teams become a combination of grizzled veterans hanging on and young guys that are late bloomers and hoping to hit their stride. It's going to be 26-year-old quarterbacks throwing to (laughs) 18-year-old wide receivers. (laughs) What's going to be interesting is who thinks they're uh, the big leagues and finds out they aren't, you know, or or how does that – because it really – I don't think it'll be by conference. Like, look at uh, Pat Narduzzi's comments on Jordan Addison. Like, hey, every you know, people are calling my receivers. And if you're Jordan Addison, you're probably like, Yeah, I love it here. Well, show like keep me here, but you got to pay to keep me here because I'm getting these pretty good offers from these other places. So it's all it's just it's a wild time. It's crazy. So this uh this is not a question from the big old bag of mail. It's more from the uh the swollen, sleep deprived brain of chip. But uh the NCAA tournament, unlike the NFL playoffs allows for these unique scenarios like uh, Iowa State and Miami are going to play in a Sweet 16 game and the winner is going to go to the Elite Eight, guaranteeing that a double-digit will be in the Elite Eight. And if you were to reseed that in the entire one through 16, uh, a feature that you can probably read on CBSSports.com in the next two hours, you would find that Iowa State and Miami are in like the bottom four. The bracket can break your way such that all of a sudden – your path to be able to reach the Final Four is much easier. I think that it brings up an interesting debate for the college football playoff and the 12-team playoff because the NFL avoids some of this with the reseeding process. So if you're looking at maybe what you would want as a fan or what you think would be better for the playoff in general, if we're in a 12-team format, which would include that first round, then playing into the quarterfinals with the four buys, would you like to see a reseeding process before we get into the quarterfinals? Or would you like it to have that NCAA tournament quirk, which could be a selling point in that if you get the certain number of upsets in the right way, then all of a sudden things could become very favorable for you as a lower seed to be able to make a deep run. I like that the NFL reseeds in its playoff because I do think that you should reward the teams for having success in the regular season by giving them the quote unquote easier path but i think if your goal of expanding the playoff is to increase kind of you know upsets drama open the door for other programs if you do recede then you're just going to make it easier for the number one team to get to the final and then ultimately end up winning the championship game which i think you know from a pure best team should win perspective that's what you want if you want entertainment and chaos I'm not sure that's the best option, but what I would do is I would ask, if we go to a 12-team format and four teams get a bye, before the first round of games start, 
I would secretly do a ballot with the four teams that got to buy, and I would say list in order of these eight teams who you want to face the most to who you want to face the least. And then you would turn that into the college football playoff committee. And then after those first four games are settled, then you announce the pairings based on who the number one team wanted to play, who the number two team wanted to play, and so on, and just go based off of that. I think that would be a lot more fun. I really don't have a take. Like it's fine either way, I guess. Um, oh, I, I, th- I think it's about worthy champion and whether you want the college football playoff to award a worthy champion or the winner of the playoff. Because the NCAA tournament does not reward the best team in college basketball. It rewards the team that won the tournament. And as the entire college basketball season, the reason why it all points towards the NCAA tournament is we've decided that's what matters. It's why certain coaches, even with all their regular season wins, their fans are furious at them because they want to see more tournament success. We've, we've just decided that winning the tournament is what matters in the sport. And I think that the expansion of the college football playoff is going to bring uh, everything that we've seen from the first uh from the first seven seasons of the college football playoff, we're like, man, it seems like we're focused too much on the playoff. We're focused too much on the playoff. Expand that sucker, and the playoff will become the center of college football. So do you want to award our championship in the sport of college football based on who wins the playoff or based on who's the best team? I'm in favor of a reseeding after the first round with the idea that we are just trying to up the level of worthiness for the champion. Am I the only one that's just learning that they reseed in the NFL? <laughs> I, like having played in it and having covered it from a long time. Is there so a you're just saying, <laughs> but like from your perspective, you're talking about how the higher speed gets the host, right? Is that basically what you're talking about? No, whoever is the lower seed coming out of the wild card goes to the top seed in the right. next round. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm if the like, if the seven seed wins its wild card game, they're playing the number one seed in the next round. That's how the NFL does it. Right. If the lower, if if in all the first round games in the twelve team model, the way it's set up with four buys, let's just say that the only lower seeded team that wins happens to be the one that in a bracket format would play in into the number four seed. A reseeding process would then take that lower seed, and instead of playing the number four seed, they would then go up to play the number one seed. I like chaos. So I'll take the leave it as it is. Yeah, see, I I like I said, I think that leaving and it just the- Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Well, I was going to say, if you're the best team, you'll win no matter who you're playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I only think that like, no matter what format you go with, one of the top two teams is going to win every year. Let's be realistic. It's going to be Alabama, Georgia, whoever the best team is that year will end up winning because football is not a sport that lends itself to a lot of upsets because, you know, it's like in, in the basketball tournament, your best player has a poor shooting performance. The rest of your team usually can't overcome it football your quarterback has a bad game your defense steps up and beats alabama in the national title game and then gives your quarterback a chance to make one great throw towards the end to help you win i don't know if we remember seeing anything like that in recent vintage but as far as creating upsets in earlier rounds to create excitement having you know lower seeds maybe facing each other in the semis and helping a team get to the title game that's unexpected as far as that is concerned i think that's probably more likely to happen in the current format rather than the reseed format but again It's going to be the same teams winning every year, no matter what you do. Coming up on the other side, spring ball is underway. Quarterback battles are going on. Which of these battles across the country have our attention as being intriguing, potentially significant to conference and national championship races? We'll get into all that and more next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. We want to welcome a brand new podcast to the CBS Sports family. In Soccer We Trust covers the beautiful game, or soccer as we like to call it, from a U.S. perspective. Join hosts, former USMNT teammates Jimmy Conrad, Charlie Davies, and Heath Pierce as they bring you a mix of expertise and passion on all things soccer in the United States. Download and follow In Soccer We Trust on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. All right, so um, the spring practice, every position is open. Every battle is is going on. I, I wanted to make sure that we um, take some time to look at uh, you know a handful, maybe more, of the quarterback battles that have really got our attention going on right now. Let's, let's go ahead and let's start with the Clemson Tigers because they were underway first. They will have their first spring game coming up here in... Mizzou's already done, right? They just had their spring game this past weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Georgia Tech's done too, I think. It's crazy. Yeah. Coastal Carolina was actually the first FBS team out there. Getting it, you know, just just letting Grayson McCall be a coach on the field. Classic right. coach on the field for them. Uh, all right, so the Clemson Tigers, the, the headline of this is DJ Uyunglele going up against Cade Klubnik. We discussed heading into spring practice, a little one-off conversation on an earlier show, that that would be the, the focus of um, – the focus of the Clemson spring practice early reports said both teams were taking some snaps with the ones we've gotten some comments from Brandon Streeter on, you know, where DJU's strengths and weaknesses have been and continue to be. What's have your thoughts changed at all based on the buzz that we've gotten from Clemson? What's the expectation for uh, this quarterback battle, either when you think it's going to end, who you think it's going to, who you think is going to win it, and what Clemson's offense might look like by the time we get to the fall. Mm. I, I think it'll still be DJ. I do. Um, I think you have to bet on track record here, and the most recent season uh, was not a good one for him. But I think you also had some you know, questions about some of the offensive coaching going on there at, at, at Clemson. Uh, we saw a lot of articles ripping their scheme and, and saying that it was very. Predictable, of course. Was it predictable when they had Trevor Lawrence and, and he was crushing everybody? Uh, I think they had some really ill-fitting receivers. Uh, they all looked exactly the same. They didn't have great diversity of body types in that room. Some offensive line questions as well. DJ was a really, really good high school recruit. He stepped in for Trevor and lit it up in two games he played in 2020. Uh, I'm still going to bet on DJ. I, that's probably not a popular opinion, but I'm I'm okay with that. And I I, I like Klubnik too, but. He's also going to be a freshman. Why is it not a popular opinion? You think among Clemson I think a lot of people are just out on DJ just from yeah. looking at social media. I think 
you've got the luxury if you're Clemson. And this is where I kind of might agree with Bud, like if you said who's because I think coaches most of the time are going to go with what you know, right? What have you seen? And you kind of know the floor as bad as it can get. And there were some rough games in there. But like think about the way last season unfolded. And this is what's this is the one, one of the intangibles you never know how somebody's going to respond. Because DJ looked great against Notre Dame, like like in a one-game window, throws for 400 yards, three touchdown passes, and we're all raving about him. And then how did things start off last season? He goes against Georgia, pick six, cost him the game. Like it was not a good game, which no one really as great as you thought DJ could be. I think we all have been like, yeah, he's probably going to play not great versus Georgia's defense. But I don't know. Maybe our expectation was he was going to – I don't I don't know what our – I don't remember what it was. But – it was much short in that game. So all of a sudden he starts taking heat and criticism for the first time and Clemson loses and all of a sudden they're struggling. And I look at a player whose confidence, like to me, it was just a lot of it was mental. And then you saw him slow down because he wanted to make sure of where he was throwing. And you start thinking that much as a quarterback and you're not just naturally throwing and cutting it loose. It becomes a very real thing where it impacts your play. So I thought you saw a quarterback who was a shell of what you saw at Notre Dame. To me, it's almost more of a rehab, a rehabilitation process with DJ mentally building up his confidence. Now, the, there's a significant difference this season and last season. Last weekend started with Georgia. This season, it's Georgia Tech on the road. Then it's Furman, Louisiana Tech. Wake is probably their first challenge. Like, they could stick with DJ, be 3 or 4-0, oh, start slowly building him up, and bring back his confidence where all of a sudden – He's a completely different looking player in a new system with uh, hopefully an offensive line that does a little bit better for him. You know, now they've got Shipley who they like. Now they have a little bit more of an identity with him where it could be a little bit more of a steadier ride. And then it's like, all right, can you get that upside again out of DJ? And that's the question I don't know. Like that's in that's what Clemson has to ultimately decide. All right, are we going to go with the veteran experience with the floor built in or do we take a swing for the fences? And and maybe and this is where I don't know, maybe you play both quarterbacks because, you know, I think teams are more willing to do that, especially against a schedule like this where you can win and play them both and figure it out as the season goes on and then let it play itself out in the field. But I think it'll be a good thing for Clemson to actually have a viable option backing up DJ just in case. You need to break the glass. Yeah, that's that, that's kind of how I feel too because I if you go back to last year, if Clemson has somebody they feel is a viable backup – does DJ start all season? Mm-mm. Because what's, I don't think so. Yeah, because Tyson Omichon come in. Omichon played extensive yeah. time. I think yeah. was it North Carolina. I forget he played who it was. in six games, but he only threw like nineteen passes all season long. Yeah. So, like, with if they feel more comfortable with Clubnick, we might see a shorter leash for DJ going in the year. And Omichon is he's still in the transfer portal, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. I don't know. I, I I agree. I think DJU is going to win that job just based on familiarity with the offense and all that kind of stuff. But I do. It's going to be interesting to see how how short the leash is, and if he does struggle early in the season, do they quickly go to Club Nick and say, "All right, well, let's see what this kid can do," because we already we've already seen this movie before. What's in DJ's control? Um, Brandon Streeter's been talking about his footwork all spring. He said when his footwork gets off, his accuracy plummets. You know, this, like if there's one thing in which I. I'm unfortunately now every Clemson fan who has not been to quarterback camps is going to be talking about footwork. That's going to be a little frustrating, but here's, here's what that is in his control. Here's what's not in DJ Uyunglele's control. The story of Cole Stout and the story of Kelly Bryant. 
because Cole Stout was named the starter, and there was an early enrollee, true freshman, named Deshaun Watson, who a lot of people were pretty excited about. About four to five games into that year, time to let the freshman get in. Kelly Bryant, he went won an ACC championship year before. Came in, you know, was named the starter for the first game of the season, and about, you know, three, four games in, time to let the kid in. Trevor Lawrence, just the experience for the program and the decision-making from Dabo Sweeney that has twice taken a superstar blue chip early enrollee true freshman, allowed the veteran to be the starter at the beginning of the year, and then once you get a couple games in, whether it's the performance of the veteran or your confidence in the younger player, let him get out there. Man went 27-0, won back-to-back state championships at the 6A level in Texas. That sounds not... Exactly like Trevor Lawrence's high school record, but equally impressive when you start to talk about what kind of pedigree you have coming in. And again, Kelly Bryant and Cole Stout and DJ Oyungalale, like if we're going to compare their pedigrees and their ceiling and their projection, wildly different. But it is the it is the way that Cade falls in line with Trevor and Deshaun, at least in terms of the cycle of the quarterback room. This is not in DJ's control at all but it is a history that we have with Dabo Sweeney's Clemson program at the quarterback position. Going. Do you think Dabo's learned then? Because like he, Dabo cost Clemson several wins by playing Cole Stout as long as he did, including the Florida State game when Jameis was suspended for standing on the table in the union. They had to play Sean McGuire. Like if you look at that game when they're rotating Stout and, and Deshaun, Deshaun's crushing it, but they're, they're swapping him like every couple series, and, and Cole Stout can't play, right? Like Dabo played Cole Stout – who really can't play at an ACC level for a long time? Like I wonder if, if he I, I think thinks back about those yes. games and says, "Hey, like you'd hope it I is. messed that up. I should have gone with Deshaun Watson from day one." Well, that's why you told Kelly Bryant, "If you want to transfer, you need to go because we're right. going to end up going with Trevor." Like the mm-hmm. did Dabo learn? I would guess yes, and I would guess yes because of the way he handled the Kelly Bryant timing and the messaging to uh, you know give him the opportunity to transfer out. I will say, going back to the comment about DJ's footwork, that's like a new defensive coordinator showing up and saying we're going to be aggressive and we're going to be multiple because there are graveyards full of college quarterbacks who, if they could just figure out their footwork, would have been much more accurate. You think we got a uh, best shape of their life check mark as well, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, with right. DJ, we do. He's Let's do some. Awesome. Yeah, oh, really? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Is he taking awesome. up yoga for flexibility? I'm going to get a check mark on yeah. that one, too. Let's play offseason bingo. Side note, I don't know. I'm sure you guys watched it. The combine, when they had the quarterbacks worked out, workout, I was blown away with how bad some of the footwork was. And they were all like, well, it's because they've never gone to center. I don't know what it, no, no one is know what worried it is? about footwork at all anymore. Like they just don't care. It was atrocious. You know what it is? Everybody wants to be Patrick Mahomes now. Yes. Because Patrick <laughs> Mahomes is a unicorn who can do incredible things. All these kids coming up are like, yeah, I'm just going to run and throw off platform and go sideways and throw back across my body like Patrick Mahomes. It's like that great works point. for him. Doesn't really work for anybody else. It's a great point. It's like when I watch my nine-year-old play basketball and they're all jacking up jacking threes. threes. Girls, yes, Steph it's Curry. like Steph yeah. Curry. We're all going to change. All <laughs> the analytics say they're worth more. It's smarter. I'm like, trust me, it is not smarter to be jacking it up from three when you can hardly get it there. Hey, Caitlin, Caitlin Clark, man. She's out there yeah. doing the new just pull up from midcourt. Make what, it rain. What is yeah. three-point percentage for nine-year-olds? 
<laughs> four is it above 10 four percent no absolutely okay. not no my, my analytics suggest nine-year-olds get within a foot of the rim get into the lane <laughs> it's about what new mexico state shot from three against Arkansas so, in a I've never nine-year-old growth basketball but can i assume their free throw percentage is also horrendous <laughs> <laughs> outside of five feet yes yeah, so you really just want to like if you, you should just hack everybody right well, no, like, if you like, have somebody i'm not allowed any shots to get off just all hack. you got to find is a ball handler and then just run just go fast break that's the best okay. thing i've experienced yeah somebody who can drive and dish and get layups and <laughs> if you get fouled hopefully you make 50 percent. you're doing all right it's like in t-ball if you have the shortstop who's fast enough to actually run at the first base as opposed to throwing it over there <laughs> it's a huge competitive advantage yeah <laughs> oh man! All right, let's uh, let's turn our attention to Austin, Texas. A uh, very very interesting quarterback battle. It, one spring ago, we were talking about Casey Thompson going up against Hudson Card. Bye uh, bye, Casey Thompson. Hello, five star Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers shows up. Hudson Card now has an opportunity. He ne- never really had full health um, for last season. There is still, to me, the Uh, the known commodity of the fact that you had been in Steve Sarkeesian's offense, you've been around the program for a little bit, but this one, I think the the burning question for me, and I'm curious where y'all are at, the burning question for me is, is Quinn Ewers as much of a factor in the quarterback competition as he is um, in the eyes of fans and in the eyes of like general national interest because of who he is, which absolutely to me is more of a star in college football than a lot of quarterbacks who have actually played competitive college football uh, as we head into the 2022 season. Now, how much of this is hype? How much of this is substance? And what are you expecting Steve Sarkeesian to do with the quarterback position? What a transition, speaking of quarterback footwork. Quinn Ewers. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that this is probably more open than the public realizes because of what you were saying chip with the quinn ewers name recognition but at the same time i also it's not unreasonable to think that quinn ewers got a lot of money went to ohio state left ohio state to come to texas is he making that move without at least some assurance that you know you're maybe you're not the starter but you're going to enter camp as the starter and you got to you know keep it He's got a long runway left. I don't think that he needed the promise that for that it would happen in 2022. But he's already going to be two years out of college. So he's going to be draft eligible after out of high school. He's going to be draft eligible after, you know, next season. So is he going to only want to play one season before his NFL draft eligibility? And I think this is where the dynamic comes. There's always been politics at play and with with or without money, with you know, recruits and keeping them there and keeping guys from transferring. But I do think the pressure's ramped up more on Sark to play Quinn Ewers because of the numbers that we've all heard about that he is getting paid. Now, ultimately, Sark has to worry about his job and winning games, and that's all that matters. But I do think it puts an increased pressure on playing Quinn Ewers, and that'll probably be the more likely direction they go. I, I really don't know what to expect here. I, I, I think if I had to put money on it, I would go Ewers just due to talent, but I don't want that to come off as a slight for Hudson Card. Uh, not that I'm worried about Texas fans, you know, getting at me for slighting Hudson Card. I actually think he's pretty damn talented as well. Like their quarterback room is really nice there in Austin, and I think it's it's a huge luxury they have these options. I, I just I don't know who's going to win that. I, I'm really just 
I don't have a great feel for that. What about at Texas A&M where things uh, have, you know, you, you've got that, uh, you've got a five-star quarterback, Connor Wegman coming in from the, you know, best recruiting class of all time. And you get Max Johnson after a very productive time with LSU. You know, we still have uh, Haynes King, who was the starting quarterback at the beginning of last season until he got hurt in the second game of the season against Colorado. I I think it's easy for, for me to gravitate towards Max Johnson because Max Johnson has had more success at the SEC level in a way that I, I think is going to be you know, very translatable from LSU to Texas A&M. We've got the addition of his brother as tight end. They got... I just see the pieces coming together for Jimbo to construct this around Johnson, but I, I'm anticipating this to be a, a, a battle that is going to, that's going to give both King and uh, Connor a decent shot at this. It's weird. Like I'm the recruiting guy and I didn't even really write down Connor Wegman in this battle. Mm. He's on, he's there. He's, I know he is, but, but I'm just, and, and we had him as a, as a five-star quarterback, number 22 overall player in the country, number three quarterback in the class. I, I'm perhaps wrong about this, but I think this is a Johnson King battle. But it's very difficult to know because we've never really seen Haynes King play for AM except for like one game against Kent State. And then he hurt he hurt his leg in the next one against what Colorado, I think it was. Yep. So uh it, it's a great unknown. We we can sit here and speculate about it, and we will because it's March and it's college football season, uh, off season. But uh do you think Max Johnson would have transferred to a place where he thought it would be really difficult to start. I don't. His decision also might have been start with option one, which is get out of Baton Rouge, figure out option two later. I think he thinks he can start, though. I I guarantee you he thinks he can start. Um, I would would lean more with Bud, where I think it's a two-man race. Um, I know Jimbo's raved about Haynes King. But it's also convenient to rave about Haynes King and kind of blame an eight and four season on well, we lost our guy who was incredible, you know, and we didn't see him look that great when he played. Um, and I think Max John and I don't know Haynes King, but I know Max Johnson. And I know you know I know Brad his dad, like, and I know the intangibles that he brings to the table, like leadership, and I think you know being able to handle a lot on his plate. I think that matters in Jimbo's system as well. But Haynes King's already had a leg up and being there longer. I think this one's more open, but I think there's zero chance we'll know until week one because if you if Max Johnson's the starter, don't you think Haynes King is gone? So this will be one of those long plays for Jimbo. Like it's tight, super tight. They're right there, neck and neck. You know, we're, we'll have Jake Coker, Jake, Jacob, or uh, Jameis Winston. Yeah, I mean, you kind of you have to to keep them both happy. So I don't think we'll know the answer on this one until you know week one. Yeah, here's like you look at this battle, Connor Wegman, five star, that's great, but freshman, no experience. And we've talked about it a lot of times, but you've talked about it plenty. Like Jimbo's offense for quarterbacks is not a simple offense, it is an intricate offense that you have to learn. So I think that kind of takes Wegman out of the running right away because it's hard to imagine with the other competition there that he's going to only not only, you know, play better than those two, but get a better command of the playbook and the offense and everything he's supposed to do by the time the season starts. So I do think it's two horse race. And I also think that Haynes King, because of that, having familiarity with that playbook, 
probably has a slight edge on Johnson heading into the spring just because he knows more about what he's doing, whereas Max Johnson has just recently transferred and has kind of had to take a crash course in this offense and really in the spring is going to be getting to play in it for the first time and getting to understand it more. So I think Haynes King probably has a slight advantage, but like you just said, Danny, I don't think we're going to have any idea. I don't think Jimbo is going to know because like with that offense, a couple weeks of spring practice is not going to separate one from the other. So it's probably not going to be until August until we know who the starter is on that very first game. And by the time that game, you know, the first snap, just because that guy's starting doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the starter. In some ways, if, if Haynes King wins the job, it almost makes me feel a little bit better about AM because that means wow. he would have well, for this reason, right? I think we have a decent idea of what Max Johnson his floor represents. Okay. Like if Haynes King is able to beat him, uh, Max Johnson is a capable starting quarterback in the SEC. Now he may grow into something bigger than that. That's possible. But I think I'm we would all agree he's at least a capable starting quarterback in the SEC. So if he gets beat out. That might mean that Jimbo has hit some gold here with Haynes King for somebody with some some serious upside, but also enough floor to where he's confident uh, playing him early in the year and starting him. Haynes King supposedly can fly too. Like it's a different yeah, he can type of he's, quarterback, he's a good like four 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 five or something like that. Um, so I'm curious to know like what does Jimbo want to do? And he's he's won with both. Like Jameis was very much a pocket passer, and yet Christian Ponder was you know running a lot. So I think it'll be interesting to see like how much that plays in the style of play and what Jimbo wants to do ultimately is the guy that he goes with. We'll come back to the SEC in just a little bit. I want to take our attention out west where a former SEC West quarterback has landed right in the middle of a quarterback competition. You know, We were looking at Oregon last year and saying, all right, is it going to be Anthony Brown or is it going to be Ty Thompson, the blue chip quarterback coming out of Arizona? Jay Butterfield also was in that conversation as well and remains Anthony Brown, of course, now gone. And it is Bo Nix from Auburn that shows up. Now, what's significant here, like uh, several other examples that we've seen with transfer quarterbacks, you're linking back up with somebody who coached you before, who knows your skill set. And for Bo Nix, who was the SEC Offensive Rookie of the Year, linking back up with the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator from that freshman season, Kenny Dillingham, over there at Oregon. Um, Dan Lanning, of course, you know, new head coach. Uh, every job is open with the new head coach. But as Bo Nix is showing up and Ty Thompson, you know, remains to be this uh, this this fixture of the Oregon fan base uh, all throughout last season, especially earlier on in the season. We never really got to see him. Do you think that – how do you imagine that Bo Nix-Ty Thompson battle – and if you're going to go with Butterfield too, but – I wanted to at least be be fair to him, but to me, I, I read this one as a Knicks Thompson battle for QB one in the Oregon offense. So, I, I think that part of the reason that Oregon took Bo Nix is familiarity. Uh, recall that Kenny Dillingham, as as Chip noted, was at Auburn with with, with, with Bo Nix before he he went to Florida State. So, uh, I think it's at least a floor uh, take as far as taking him as, as a transfer. Oregon fans very much believe that Ty Thompson is going to be like the next stud. And Oregon's prior staff would tell you that, but they didn't really play him. Mm-hmm. And that makes me a little skeptical as if he's going to be the guy, but maybe he will be. I think he's more talented than Nix is, but 
Nick's uh, maybe getting out of the SEC and, and actually having a little more time to throw away from the pass rush could do him a bit of good, or he could be just totally ruined as far as his pocket presence, right? Like, like maybe maybe he hasn't had time to develop that playing playing there at Auburn and, and being harassed quite a bit uh, by pass rushers. So I think it'll be Nick's because I don't think you go out and take him just to have him ride the bench. Yeah, and like if you go back to last year, like the Oregon coaching staff raves about Ty Thompson, but like you said, they never played him. And like Mario Cristobal, we know, is somewhat conservative, so maybe the thought process was the kid's ultra-talented, but he also does some makes some mistakes and he gets a little, you know, undisciplined that could put us in a bad spot. So we just want to go with Anthony Brown because we trust that even if we're not explosive, he won't put our defense in bad situations. But I don't see how Bo Nix is going to be a clear improvement on that if that was the problem. So I do think that this is wide open, and this is probably the familiarity with Knicks and Knicks' familiarity with Dillingham probably made Oregon seem like a very good option for him. And I think that he probably has a slight edge just based on that experience. But I, I believe Oregon coaches when they say that this competition is wide open this spring. So it's going to be an interesting one to follow. Oh, yeah. It'll be shared reps, like right down the middle. You get ones. You know, both get reps with the ones. I think it's a fair competition. I think it's kind of similar to some other, like, like it's similar to Anthony Richardson. Now, he played a little bit more and was given more of an opportunity. But in the end, he really couldn't take that job away from Emory Jones. Same with Ty Thompson. Couldn't take the job away from Anthony Brown. Um, I'm always a little bit worried about it when you know the quarterback they can't beat out. And you're like, well, what does that mean? Now, Ty Thompson clearly true freshman, you know, new to the system. But now he's new to another system. And you've got a guy in Bo Nix who played – a boatload of games in high school, a boatload of games in the SEC. Um, he's got a lot of experience. I clearly think there is something to the intangibles of Bo Nix, like the leadership value, especially when things are fresh. Fresh start, he's going to come in there like and try to take over the locker room. And Sometimes that's hard for a true freshman or even a true sophomore to try to wrestle that away. I mean, it's age is a factor here. And so like the, the Oregon team – I think we'll look up more to Bo Nix because he's been in those battles more and they look, you know, they see that. I don't know. I'd, I'd lean a slight edge to Bo Nix just because I think he'll pick up the system a little bit faster um, because of all that experience. But I agree with what you guys are saying. Like from a natural talent ability, Ty Thompson would have to have the edge. But coaches, they, you know, a lot of times, especially early, like who are you going to give that nod to week one and see if they can run with it? They're going to take the option where you kind of where you know the worst case scenario and it's not that bad. You know, Bo Nick, point, go ahead. I was just going to say to your point, um, the Duck Territory, 24 7 Sports, does a fantastic job of covering Oregon and Oregon football under Dan Lanning has not decided to go uh, total media blackout. We only, you know, we're not going to allow anyone to see anything. So Duck Territory has a lot of uh, spring practice observations and some of the notes that have been coming out of that has been from their reporting a good camaraderie and back and forth between Bo Nix and Ty Thompson, sharing tips, talking to each other between reps, um, holding on to the microphone, uh, you know, just really being able to. <laughs> they, I was encouraged, Danny, to your point, that at least this isn't seem like it's going to come with nastiness and that if you're an Oregon fan, you think we are going to get good quarterback play. If these two, if we've got our high floor and our unknown ceiling, and they are pushing each other, then we should have a better product at the end, whoever ends up winning the job from what has been a competitive and positive environment throughout spring practice. Shout out to Duck Territory. Uh, all right, let's, also, let's hit 
from SEC to Pac-12, Pac-12 to the SEC. Jaden Daniels announces that after leaving Arizona State and getting some um, some moving help from his former teammates, that he will be sending those boxes to Baton Rouge. We have had some intrigue, questions, and maybe even some doubts about Brian Kelly and the hire of Mike Denbrock and what that is going to mean for the LSU offense and moving forward. So, uh, but I'll throw this to you first. Does the addition of Jaden Daniels, and he joins a quarterback room where I would say that um, Miles Brennan, you know, our established veteran, though with some injury issues, Garrett Nussmeyer, a little bit more of a question mark, at least in my analysis. Um, he joins a, a he joins a room and he joins a quarterback battle where Jaden Daniels can absolutely win this thing. But yet, Jaden Daniels' own career arc as a starting quarterback says that he he probably is going to need to fit with all of the pieces, coaching and personnel otherwise, in order to really seize this thing and be QB1 anytime soon. Yeah, so I, I don't think you take Jaden Daniels if you have a lot of confidence in your quarterback room, um, which, of course, that makes some sense. Garrett Nussmeyer last year, 50% completions, 3.8 net yards per attempt. That's not going to get it done at all. Like That's not playable in the SEC if you want to win any games. Uh, now, Miles Brennan in 2020 was actually pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. 8.4 yards per attempt in SEC play, 60.3%, 11 to 3 touchdowns. Like, not great, but but that's playable in the SEC. Uh, not super high on the Denbrock hire, as you mentioned, but again, that doesn't really impact, I think, who is going to play QB for them. Daniels has some talent. He was extremely inconsistent at Arizona State. I've already told you what some of the coaches on that staff told me about how they they didn't actually like him, uh, and you saw the reaction video. So we'll see if a fresh start there at Arizona State uh, helps him out. But man, if you go and you take a guy like that, you got to be thinking he's he's a starter, right? Although I I kind of think Brennan might be the best player in there. I, I want to hear Danny's opinion on this, by the way. I, in addition to Tom's, but obviously, like you know, Brad and 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 the Johnsons. Did they think like based on your information? Who do you think well, is, is I maybe I the better threat to take the job, Brennan or or, no, or you know what? I need to reach out. So I need to reach out, find out because I haven't talked to him about that conversation. You know, uh, the depth chart, like what's going on behind him. Um, so I don't really have a good answer for that with any inside intel. But like, I think it is the Denbrock hire is interesting because two of these quarterbacks play the game one way. And one who they just signed plays the game a different way. He can run. Like, and I do wonder if that's more of the type of quarterback that Denbrock wants in his system. You know, somebody who's a little bit more mobile, who they can utilize some of these concepts. And I think we talked about this a little bit before. So I would tend, to, I would say it's probably Jaden Daniels would have the edge, but it doesn't mean it's his job. You know what I mean? Like, yep. I, and then I'm curious to know. Like the other two, I don't, I don't, because I, I don't think we know that much about either. You know, like I think they've been okay, but I think from like an upside thing, like this is the thing. I don't, I think the floor on Jaden Daniels isn't horrendous. Like I think it's pretty. Like you've seen a lot of football, and I don't know. I, I think this one's a, this one's probably one of the more fascinating ones that we because I think we have three legitimate guys, and like does that start taking reps? You've got to start whittling this thing down fast. So like we start paying attention to some of the reports coming out of LSU. 
who are the guys getting the reps with the ones and the twos and who's the third out? And then you'll start narrowing it down and start figuring out, all right, who is the two man battle between? And I think you'll have a better idea. Yeah. I, I think it'll end up being Jaden Daniels just because like you said, but if he's coming there, I just feel like that's a signal, but it's also Brian Kelly. Yeah. They're all going to play. Like every week, they're going to rotate series, but Jaden Daniels is going to be the starter. The thing that I love is that Brian Kelly, like we first started getting on him about this a decade ago. And last season, he was back on his like, Ain't a yes. damn thing changed. Yes. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to go to Drew Pine. We're going to bring in Buckner. We're going to continue to rotate these guys all the way through. I mean, I, I had... I had expectations that Brian Kelly has always been open-minded towards playing as many quarterbacks as possible. It makes it intriguing, but it also makes me believe that even when we name a starter for week one, we have not seen the end of potential quarterback rotation at LSU if trends from Brian Kelly's coaching career are to continue. And when you've got different skill sets too, ooh, Brian Kelly likes that the best because then he thinks he can keep you off guard with his, uh, his offensive game plan. All right, let's. Uh, we it was so funny. We talked about Florida. We talked about Emory Jones and you know Anthony Richardson, and then right after we're done talking about it, Emory Jones has entered the transfer portal. So I think Danny, you know, you mentioned it like right off the top. Jack Miller. Now you've got Jack Miller and Anthony Richardson and Anthony Richardson, which has somehow had. Uh, miraculous, not miraculous. We've we've had actual like miracles medically done. A ahead of schedule recovery. It was thought at one time that uh, Anthony Richardson would be limited for most, if not all, of spring. And sure enough, he has a couple good checkups right as spring practice is getting going. One of our big headlines is Richardson. You know, will now be able to part- participate more than expected. We the following headline is that Emory Jones is out of here. But I think that we still have to at least from a um, handicapping per- perspective, or at least our expectations for Florida's offense under Billy Napier, uh, we have to think that Jack Miller's got to be ready. Do we think that Jack Miller is, has a shot at being QB1, even if Richardson is 100% healthy? Or do you think that Emory Jones' exit means that Richardson, who has shown in flashes just some awesome dynamic playmaking, that Jones' exit means that Richardson, here we go, QB1. No, I think it shows that Emory Jones finally came to the self-awareness that, man. He was number 30? Yeah. I mean, he probably should have done it before. I mean, he was in the – remember the weird – he was in the transfer portal before the bowl, Mm -hmm. and then he decided to come back and play. And, like, we've seen him play. And you talk about, like, knowing the floor. We know the floor, but we also know the upside. It's just very, you know, pedestrian, to be honest. I mean, it was just very average quarterback play. And he had a nice drive against Alabama and kept him in that game. And he could play somewhere, but I think the – the direction that Billy Napier wants to play in this team. Maybe that was a conversation he had with Billy Napier. Like, hey, what do, what do you envision my role? And maybe Billy Napier was like, yeah, it's probably going to be more as a backup or a role player, or you know, and you can just kind of see what's happening. But I think this one is interesting because I think Anthony Richardson, if there wasn't a new system, I think he'd clearly have the leg up. But I think the fact that there's a new regime in there with a new system, everybody's kind of on the same level so i think it's more of an open competition and i don't know enough about jack miller i mean i mentioned you guys last time watch the spring game remember thinking man could he challenge cj stroud in this in this spring game and he played pretty well but i don't know enough about him and from anthony richardson like again i think i think anthony richardson's kind of similar to what we saw with dj 
where there was so much hype around him. You saw these plays. I think it was USF when he's running like 90-yard, you know, QB draws and like just getting off and making these huge plays. And he had a great start. And then against Georgia, we kind of saw a quarterback who looked overwhelmed when he was given the opportunity. Again, similar to DJ, same team that's making you look bad. And then you kind of didn't see that same version of Anthony Richardson. So clearly, I think the upside is there. But I think he also reminds me more of what Billy Napier ran at Louisiana. So I guess maybe I'd give the leg up to Anthony Richardson on the potential for what he could be envisioning what Napier did at Louisiana. I I think it's a positive sign for Florida that Jones is transferring because it means that Florida, like that Jones is not in the quarterback conversation, which to me means the quality of play in that room is going to be elevated. I don't know if it's going to be Jack Miller or Richardson. I would guess it'll be AR-15 because I, I just think like he's part of your recruiting pitch. He's really freakishly athletic. He's got a big arm. Uh, if you can harness that, it's not like what they ran at Louisiana required a lot of precision passing either. So I'm not saying they're going to run the exact same thing they ran at ULL, uh, but it's certainly possible. Uh, and I, I think if I had to put my money, my money on it, I, I would go AR-15. I'm going to go Jack Miller. Got feel. Ooh. Let's go. Hmm. How many? I, I of know these... Ohio State coaches really liked him, but okay, he all just right. Wasn't... <laughs> that wasn't just total like Big Ten's better. Jack no, Miller. that was just just. I know Ohio State coaches liked him, but you know C.J. Stroud is very good, and they like him a little bit more. So, former Ohio State quarterbacks in the SEC have been good in the last three years it works very well i think yeah clearly jack miller is going to lead florida to a national title and then he's gonna save some more bound nfl franchise jacksonville jaguars quarterback jack miller wow just throwing trevor under the bus uh all right what about uh, let's real quick uh other jobs or other uh places where you're interested in the quarterback competition I don't you want me to just throw up a softball for Bud? What about yeah. Georgia? Come on, what about what about the quarterback battle that's unfolding? No, man, Stetson Bennett is incredibly efficient and that's right. extremely productive. That's right. I thought one thing I noticed. By the way, I had a ton of notes on that. I think it's it because of him. Three three part special here on the quarterback battles is that Georgia is one school. We talked about Clemson. That's two schools. Penn State and Michigan. I also had. I'm sure there's many others where you have a returning quarterback who is like. DJ clearly in an open battle for his job. And we're, I'm, I don't know if Stetson – I feel like Stetson Bennett almost has to be the starter. But Kirby's been saying, hey, we need to develop the position. We need to get reps there. But at some of these, I think there's a trend where it used to be if you started, you were kind of just the guy. Like, just we're not going to make that change. And I think you've seen a trickle-down effect from the NFL and teams getting aggressive, realizing we, we can't just have just a guy. Like, we need a playmaker. And so I think at some of these schools – and. You know, no so Michigan McCarthy is hurt. I've like right. McCarthy will get a crack at it, but the shoulder injury is going to limit him from competing this spring. So right. that becomes one of those like, all right, we'll punt the conversation till fall, but right. for now, Caden McNamara is still the guy. Right. Here's one for you. What about? Uh, wait, are we staying on Michigan? My my apologies. No. Go. No, I just brought up all those that kind yeah. of where there might be intrigue and it's not, you know, the guy, the starter is just not the starter because he's returning. I have four names for Auburn. Is that Wait, correct? Calzada, TJ Finley, and who? Robbie Ashford. 
and Demetrius Davis. Okay. I had that one as a Calzada TJ Finley, and I didn't have very strong feelings about either one of those as like, if you win, I am changing my expectations for you and the, for the team in the offense. I mean, if you did have strong feelings about one of those guys, I would like about in a good way. I would really be interested in that uh, because I'm, I'm in the same boat, Chip. Um, Calzada was just bad last year. He's not accurate overall. He, he played the game of his life against or against Alabama, but he's just not an accurate player. That might be one of the most freakish things I've ever seen is Calzada's performance against Alabama. Like he mm-hmm. was slinging it with anticipation, hitting guys in stride and tight windows. It was like, where is what, this guy? What's you know? the Will Ferrell movie where he's like, I, I just blacked out. I don't know how I did that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the old school. Old school. Yeah. Yes. Where, where, where he does the, uh, yes. yeah. <laughs> well, the yeah. Um, 5.8 yards per attempt for Calzada last year, six for Fenley. So, it's like both bad, you know. Baseball's in the spring training. It's like that re- that mid mid inning reliever who can throw a hundred and one, but has absolutely no control. But then there's that one game, like at the end of the season, when you're trying to clinch a playoff spot, where he comes in and he suddenly just strikes out the side and is perfect, and then he's never anything again. <laughs> Here's a question for you: Alabama lost to Zach Calzada and Stetson Bennett in the same year. If you were ranking all the quarterbacks that, that that Saban has ever lost to, where do those guys rank on the list? I think the better question is having a lower-rated quarterback the best way to beat Alabama. <laughs> a lot of people are wondering this. <laughs> like Dr. Bo, did, Tennessee, did, did Tennessee just blow its chance at an SEC title by giving Iamale... Oh, I forgot how to say it already. All that money. <laughs> Iamalieva. Iamalieva. Did they blow their chance by paying Nico? Well, the old Gary Danielson standard was to say that you didn't need, like, you needed the Steven Garcia game. He would always go back to South Carolina, and Steven Garcia was like 22 for 28 or 18 for 22. It was like, you just needed to be a Steven Garcia and then have all the other pieces around to be, you know, have an Alshon Jeffrey, like, have, have the other pieces that you need to be able to beat Alabama. And I always thought that Steven Garcia, in the fact that he was always referenced there, the notion was that he was on the low end of the quarterbacks to beat Alabama. The like the consistent factor in beating the next Saban's Alabama teams is not quarterback, and it's not quarterback mobility. It is almost receiver. always receiver play. Mm-hmm. Because of, of how they do that defense, there are so many opportunities for one-on-ones, and it's essentially iso ball. Is your receiver going to be able to beat a five-star, because they're almost always five-stars, defensive back, trained by Nick Saban in one-on-one coverage enough times before Bama adjusts for it and says, fine, we can't cover you. And can you get it to that guy before you get killed by a yes. you know, former, a future number one draft pick or something, you know, first-round draft pick? You know you know the guy on the Stephen Garcia team? Was it Jeffrey? Yeah, it was also Jeffrey. Yeah, he yeah. was pumping gas that day, my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so other other ones, I guess, that uh, I had on my list, we, we already mentioned Florida, mentioned Auburn, LSU, Notre Dame, I'm, I'm kind of a, a little Fine bit of a shrug Buckner. there. Buckner? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it's it's one of those things with Marcus Freeman now being in charge. I don't know. Like, I, I think, obviously, it's probably going to be Tommy Reese's decision, but I don't know. I, I feel like 
those are two very similar players. So it really could come down to just who does better in the spring and in practice. I think they're good. They are in a position where I have, un unlike some of these other, like the Auburn position where I'm not going to change my confidence or my expectation level, but maybe not in the positive sense. Notre Dame's in a place where it's like, all right, well, whatever you think is going to be better. You're going to have basically the same you know, medium high to high-ish expectations for the Fighting Irish either way. So it's a good position to be in where it doesn't feel like all of your hope is riding on Buckner being the quarterback or Drew Pine being the quarterback. doesn't seem to hold as much intrigue, at least in, in my eyes, as I scan the country. That's going to be intangibles. I just think that physically they're very similar. Good stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 we will next show do a, a little bit of a review, see who's uh, who's been tearing it up in our bracket challenge. And to those of you who engaged with our uh, email thread of love uh, over the last week or so, we really appreciate the engagement. <laughs> oh, man. Tom? Please, please stop responding. It's really making Coca angry. <laughs> really? Like, if anybody else, you know, the competition is still ongoing to see who gets a $100 Paramount Plus gift card. Maybe we can, you know, just don't respond because it makes producer Coca really angry. They keep having to deal with these emails in the bracket games. But, uh, but seriously, to all the listeners and everybody who signed up, uh, we, we, we very much appreciate you doing that. We have enjoyed uh, being able to take our March Madness to the bracket games with you. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Shout out to Mike DeLong, who's currently in the lead. Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.